All right, boys and girls, before we kick into this show this week, I'm going to help out one of our listeners, Corey, who is an active listener, always comments on stuff, listens while he bags and board. He is trying to do the good work that the supermen and women out there couldn't do, so he's putting forth his own effort. He's got a little thing going on called Silent Superheroes that's helping the people of Southeast Louisiana who have been affected by the recent flooding. Himself, having gone through Hurricane Katrina 11 years ago, he knows firsthand what these people are going through and feeling right now. I know with these people in need to get back to some of their normalcy. Silent Superheroes is working with some local Houston businesses to set up donations and drop zones around town. Just a quick listing of the stuff that they're looking for. Men's, women's, boys, girls, baby clothing, new or gently used, toys, back to school supplies, toiletries, you know, soaps, deodorants, toothbrushes, etc., Money donations will be accepted, but not necessarily needed, but will be accepted and used to buy the above items that I've mentioned. All donations that are collected will be brought to the local churches in Southeast Louisiana or possibly split between the church, the local fire stations, and police stations to be handed out to the actual people in need. So far, they've got a bunch of confirmed sites around town. Our store is one of these spots, so if you guys are local listeners and you do shop at Bedrock, definitely help help out. Help a person in need, especially fellow comic book people. If you need any other information, just Facebook Silent Superheroes and help out with, with what you can. It's the superhero thing to do. And knowing Corey personally, this is a, he's doing a good thing. He's doing the work that the Supermans, the Batmans, and the Green Lanterns can't do because all we have are ourselves and our fellow man. Other than that, you guys enjoy the show. This week on Comic Book Boom Boom, we talk duds to studs. And we dive into Blue Beetle, War Mother, and Power Rangers. The show that always hates Mondays. I'm your host, Joe Jacobs. With me is Houston's own Garfield, Kevin Travers. How's it going, boys and girls? <laughs> That's right. Mr. Mopey himself and actually is waiting on a pan of lasagna as we uh, record. <laughs> this is true. I do have lasagna in the oven. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't hate all Mondays. I, I just hate this Monday because I, I had to work and WWE Raw is in town and I couldn't afford tickets. And he, and he can't even watch it because he's recording. That's <laughs> okay. I, I haven't recorded. But the, just the big thing about that is the uh, since the brand split, you know, SmackDown is its own thing and, and Raw is its own thing. Raw got the shorthand or the short straw in the pick because they didn't get the chance to keep the uh, heavyweight title that SmackDown got. So they needed some new title to cover that, that bracket in the whole thing. So they have this thing called the universal title that I keep calling in the galactic guardian title and Finn Balor, one of the guys that, that came up from NXT, their developmental league won it at SummerSlam. And it was the coolest thing ever. And he, he, I, I really thought they were going to like make him become a heel, which is pretty much a bad guy in wrestling. And he got hurt in the match. Like they showed you a frame by frame where like you see his shoulder get ripped out of socket and you see him put it back in and continue the match. And he's going to be out for six months. So he had to relinquish the title. And instead of just giving it to the guy that he fought, there's a fatal four way going on tonight, probably in the next, probably about like 40 minutes or so. And it's an elimination match between my favorite wrestler right now, Big Cass, Kevin Owens, Seth Rollins, and Roman Reigns. And everyone that gets eliminated that's one last guy they have to fight, and then the new Galactic Guardian, or Universal title, as you, as they like to call it, will be crowned. Okay. And I have no idea what you're talking about, because I don't <laughs> watch it. So, But I know some people do. I know Ryan Fields is out there, and he watches wrestling. 
Oh, dude, it's it's one of those things like it's funny, like watching it as a kid. It was awesome. And then you kind of grow out of it and you grow out of that phase. Like same thing with like wrestling, Pokemon and and, and other things you enjoy as a kid. You want to be cool. So you kind of put those to the wayside and pretend you never like them. And then you turn 28 years old and you're like wrestling and Pokemon. Yay. <laughs> well, or, you know, you're 20,000 years older than that. And you at least fall in the Pokemon category. Oh, yeah. I, forgot. I still like, suck, though. Real bad. <laughs> Lots of people do. I I, play, I played online today at lunch, and like this this guy, like I just like like demolished him. And I've I've been playing some really good matches where like it, I'm actually getting into the strategy of it and knowing when to play this and what this would be good for and this that and the next thing. And I was just like beating this kid, and like he messaged in the comments, he's like, I haven't been playing very long, and I just want I I didn't tell him like, oh, I've only been playing for like three four weeks. I was just like, hey, keep your head up. <laughs> Oh jeez! Wow, you should have you should have just been the douche, but whatever. No, you I suck, man. I'm sorry. I gotta say, the online version though is really really cool for just that, like strategizing and like figuring out exactly what you want to do, so then you don't embarrass yourself too much in front of your real friends. Oh no, no, that's that's a straight lie right there, Joe. Because I joined, I started doing the Pokemon League oh, up here in the woodlands, and I played a guy, and I, I won both my matches. But he had to keep reminding me to draw a card. Like, I'm so used to the online one. Oh, that's true. So he's like, uh, you're going to draw a card? And I was like, oh, oh, yeah, 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 definitely. And like, same thing with the prize thing. Like, he'd be like, you can take a prize because I'm so used to that just popping up and being like, pick one of the six cards. And I was like, oh, okay. That's true. It is super automated. So, yeah. Yeah. I'll, so, I'll give you that. <laughs> but yeah, man, let's let's get on with the show. <laughs> okay. Well, let's talk about the news, though. And anyone that listened to last was it the last episode when we talked about Deathstroke? No, we talked about toys. We talked toys, yeah. It was the one before that and how utterly horrible that book really was to both of us. Probably not for everyone, but for us, it just wasn't our thing. Homeboy's showing up in, the, well, they're saying he's either in the Justice League or in Batman. I'm going to say Justice League because Ben Affleck posted the video and he's currently filming for Justice League. But do you think maybe he's doing dual roles? Nah, man, I think that's an after credit scene that we've got to see early on. Just a, a kind of way to uh, bait and lure us into the Batman movie, which I'm excited for. I think it's going to be good. Justice League has a lot of potential with the two critically acclaimed flops that we've gotten, <laughs> even though I, I liked both of them. <laughs> Me too. But if you're a critic, we're idiots for liking it or whatever. And I saw Suicide Squad twice, but I'll live with that. That's not that big of a deal. But yeah, that that. Deathstroke looked really cool, much better than the show. I actually thought it was like some leftover CG stuff from Batman Arkham Origin. And then like when you actually see it now, I'm waiting for all the uh, conspiracy theorists to uh, slow slow it down frame by frame and get a a shot of Deathstroke's eye and then start looking at actors and trying to... uh, Dude, they've already done it. Oh, have they? They've already done it. Like they they think it's the... Holy cow. They think it's the guy... I can't remember. I know he was in True Blood, like he played a, a werewolf, but I can't remember his name, but he, he's a well-known actor. But yeah, everyone's speculating already. Everyone. So, you know, I, I don't care who it is, but I think because that video was released and they allowed Ben Affleck to do something like that, I don't think that Deathstroke's going to play a big part in anything. He's probably just going to show up for a little bit. 
I don't think that, man. I think he could actually play a really good role as a villain. Like we said, him in a solo act by himself sucks. But when he's like the villain of the comic that the, the, the hero is fighting, he's really well done. So, I mean, I, that would be awesome to see a Batman movie like that where like he's kind of got an equal. And it would. I just think the fight scenes in that whole movie would be fantastic. Like nothing but those warehouse fights that we got in BVS, but just a full movie of that much fun and brutality. If I do recall, and I think when I was a kid, I, I don't know, but I recall Batman getting his butt whooped by Deathstroke a couple times. Like he's been outmatched physically in a fight. Do you know of any story arcs where that happened? With Batman, no. I've never really read Batman fighting Deathstroke. Every time I think I, I know a fight about it, it ends up being KG Beast. Okay, well, if anyone knows, let us know. I'm sure I could Google it, but uh, it's it's more fun to ask you guys. So, you know, put, put it in the comments if you guys know of any. I swear to God, I've read it where he's been bested in a physical fight with uh, Deathstroke at least once or twice. So nonetheless, yes. So you're thinking it's an end credit scene for JLA or J, uh, Justice League. And it's he's going to be one of the main villains in uh, or at least an antagonist in the Batman movie. Yeah. I mean, that would just be the best way to go. I think we don't need any of like his big rogues or anything like that, especially setting up this new continuity. I mean, unless they want to do just a really maniacal Two-Face, that'd be, that'd be good. Or a Mr. Freeze, a properly done Mr. Freeze. And I mean, take cues from uh, Heart of Ice, the Batman animated series episode. Yeah. That'd be fantastic. But then there's also that really cool Batman New 52 annual. I think it's annual number oh, one. Yeah, that one's really good. Where you end up finding out that like, Nora Freeze actually had nothing. She wanted nothing to do with Victor and all this love story is inside his head. And he was actually a stalker. And he was like, uh, I think they had like, like Wayne Tech had a restraining order on him. And, and it was just it was a cool reevaluation of his story because you're so used to being like, oh, he's just he's he's out for love. He's trying to do the best for his wife. And then it's like, that's not his wife. That's just some chick that he's, you know, fanatical about. Right. No, it, it was really, really well done. And I don't think Snyder didn't write that part, did he? No, I don't I don't think he had his, his hand in it. I think Capullo drew it. But I mean, all these Batman questions, listener James, man, he should he should know this since he's the uh, self-professed Batman guru. Yeah, come on, James. Give us some info. And he could probably fill us in on uh, maybe that Deathstroke fight, too. I, but he's not necessarily a, a, a Batman villain, is he? I thought he was in the other camps, like... Uh, I thought he was, you know, Arrow or well, no, he because he shows up in Batgirl no, too. That's been the that's been the TV show kind of thing. Well, he's a mercenary, so he's a hired gun for sure. But if if we're gonna ground him in any kind of superhero team thing, it's Teen Titans. That's that's true. That's that's his group. That's the people that he goes after. That's the bane of his existence. Was that Judas Contract? Yes. Yeah. Well, that's where he's awesome. There's a Cassandra Cain. I think it's the last volume of her series. He shows up with his daughter. Oh, yeah. Rose. She's really cool. Yeah. And that, that was pretty cool. They went uh, mano a mano. So it, I just love Cassandra Kane. So that's how I know that part. So yeah, I guess he's just kind of everywhere. But yet you're right with the Teen Titans. I totally forgot about the fact that he just can't stand... Like, he's always going against uh, Teen Titans. So, maybe he's going to turn in from a dud in the comics to a stud 
in the movies. Before we end that, the the one cool thing that they could do with Deathstroke that I would I think would be awesome to see on screen is in Identity Crisis, he dresses up as Batman to pick up Dr. Light, I believe it is, and the Teen Titans believe like, oh, it's you know, Batman's taking him to Arkham, he'll take care of him. And uh, you end up, or maybe 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 it's not identity crisis because it it leads into infinite crisis, which is the villains for hire thing or the villains united storyline. And he's dressed up as Batman, and that would be pretty cool because I think he could he could portray Batman and just do like nefarious deeds and slander Batman's name, and that would be the thing that brings Batman you know, after him or something like that. Yeah, it could happen. Who knows what storyline they're going to go with. But as far as how he looks, he looks amazing. So let's hope that things pick up for, for DC in the, in, the, in the cinematic universe. But let's get into comics and let's talk about what we were going to talk about last time. But we put it on the table for this episode. And that's stories or writers redeeming themselves after long runs of uh, crap, or at least what we feel is subpar material. So do you want to start, Kev, with Venditti? Yeah, he took the reins after Jeff Johns, which he was writing or has been continually writing Exo Man of War, which is fantastic. I really enjoy that book. Sad to see it come to an end, but maybe that could be one of the few reasons why his writing hasn't been, you know, over 9,000. But I had a lot of high hopes because right after 20 was over, 21 was a fantastic story. 22 was really good. But I kind of guessed that maybe they were co-scripted with Jeff Johns, like the same way that a lot of these books are. Right. But I mean, I've bought 22 to 52, but I, I don't think I've ever read any of them. And that's me buying two copies of all the Green Lanterns because they do those stand variants. And each month had like a different theme, like Lego or the horror theme or the Harley theme and all that. And that was a cool thing. But I was just buying them for the sheer fact that I like Green Lantern, and I know I always say, like, I you vote with your dollar, but it's the one book that I don't want to give up on because it, the character means so much to me, unlike other books where, like, I'll just drop them and trade weight them or, and, and things like that. But just that whole run, I, I don't, there was nothing good in it that made me want to, like, read it month to month. That I, I mean, I would pick up, like, stacks of it from my box, and I'd have 22, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and I'd come home, bag and board it and just file it away. I had no interest in it. But with Green Lanterns coming out and then Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, I was like, I'll give it another try because I went to the DC Roadshow and absolutely loved what I saw. But then again, Green Lantern started off fantastically and it's just kind of stuck in a rut. So I didn't have high hopes for Hal Jordan. But my goodness, dude, this book is so good. Yeah, it's it's super good. And I'm with you on there. I actually tried to keep reading well into Venditti's run with the New 52 stuff, and it was tough. And I, I did give up halfway through. So I have the issues. I, I, I don't even know if I'll get back to them and read them. They just, there was nothing compelling like whatsoever going on there. But I will agree with you. I just finished. I'm totally caught up with Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps. And I agree with you. It harkens back to everything I loved with pre-52 Green Lantern. And it, he's even handling the core well. And you know what? In, in what is it? It's number three right now, right? Yes. Okay. Guy Gardner gets to shine. And he's one of he's probably my top lantern. And that's the fun thing about it. So somebody came into my store today and we talked about toys for a good hour and it got out, it got to the point that, you know, like uh, we were talking about the icons line. And I was like, these are great and all that stuff. I've only bought the Green Lantern one. And when John Stork comes out, I'll buy him just because I'm waiting for 
figure arts to announce that they have the DC license and then it's over. I'm just going to buy DC figure arts forever and a day. But we were talking about that. And, you know, with anybody who finds out that I like Green Lantern, the first thing they ask me is, what, who's your favorite lantern from Earth or who's your favorite lantern? And for the Earth one, obviously Kyle Rayner. We've talked about that a bunch on there. But I also like I really like Stell if we're talking about the whole core. The, the giant robot. Oh yeah, dude, he's amazing. Yeah, so just sticking to the Earth one, I just told him like Kyle Rayner and I explained why. It was like Ron Mars. I, I love that run. I love that character. I just like the rookie feel to him and the progression that he gets. And he was like, what about Guy Gardner? I was like, Guy Gardner's hit or miss with me because some people write him as a really big obnoxious douche and I just don't like that. I like to think that he's like a bad boy with a heart of gold because like he'll kick your butt for no reason at all but he'll also be the first one there if you ever need help. Yes. And Vendet Vendetti is writing him like that. Like that that page in uh I think like second or third page in issue 3 where like he's he's in the middle of of the fight with the Sinestro Corps and he's like is that all you got? I was like that's Guy Gardner. That's Guy Gardner to me. That's the Guy Gardner I love. And that's like pre-52 Guy Gardner where he was like a lovable idiot. Yeah, that's kind of why I always enjoyed him. Not to mention Emerald Warriors. I thought he was written really well. And I can't remember who wrote that one. It wasn't Venditti, but I really liked that run. And it kind of put Guy in the, the forefront. Even when like Bedard and Tomasi were writing Green Lantern Corps, just the way they, they rotated the spotlight on characters, it, it, it gave you enough that it felt like they had their own book. But with them switching characters, it just had this brilliant amount of freshness to it to where you really couldn't get bored with the book because you had three or four stories going on, but they were well balanced. And you were buying one book, but you were theoretically getting four for $2.99. And that's the thing I like about it. And that's how I feel with Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps because we have Guy's story now, we have Hal's story, we have John Stewart and the Core story and Sinestro story. And I don't know about you, man. But when they pan back to where the Green Lantern Corps is, I forget what sector they're in, and they're trying to get up their communications. It's unknown sector. Yeah, and they're they're trying. Oh, it's the unknown sector. Yeah. Well, they're also trying to get up uh, communications, uh, uh, GPS, and all that stuff. And 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 the way Vendetti conveys John Stewart's frustration and anguish about he he doesn't know if he sent Guy off is good or bad. But you can see it in his face that this is stressing him out. And the, the fun thing about that is it's showing like, man, maybe we do need the the guardians of the universe. They play a pivotal role. And it's just like with them having no emotions, they don't feel stress. They're just logical about it. And now maybe they'll have a little bit more respect for him if they come back. But man, I wish he would have done this, especially with the events that kept happening in, in New 52 Green Lantern stuff. I probably would have cared a little bit more, which I have my right to be frustrated about this because one, this is my book. This is my character. If somebody held a gun to my head and said I could only read one book for the rest of my life, it would have to be Green Lantern. And if it was that run, man, I would have made a terrible mistake. But this one, like, hands down, it's my favorite book. Like, it's my number two. And, and it's going to take a lot to beat Superman because I absolutely love that book. But Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps is slowly creeping up to that number one spot in my heart. Oh, it's got number one for me now. It's been a long time. And actually, that's why I'm super excited to have the show this week because everything I read got me so excited. I, I, you know, after moving and stuff, and it takes a lull out of you when you stop reading for a little while and you're like, eh, you know, I got so much to read. What am I going to do? And then you start reading stuff like Deathstroke and you're like, I don't know, I'm just going to put comics down for a little bit. But 
Man, I, everything I read this weekend, I got so excited about. But this one took top. And I know you guys keep pushing Superman with me. And it's, it's, it is a really good story, but it's not my favorite. Hal Jordan in the Green Lantern Corps by far is my favorite out of all the books. And and that's talking, you know, one of the books we're going to talk about today. So it, it's topping that. Going back to, well, you know what? Before I talk about writing again, dude, this book is gorgeous. Right. Did, uh, so you finished number three, right? Oh, man. That last page. The last page, right? Oh. I don't even know if that was the same artist or if someone just picked up the slack or something I like don't that. Know. But whoever did that last page, put put that person on the book full time because I kept showing it to people. That's how excited. And I'm glad you picked it up without me showing it. Like you you got the, the notion that that last page was absolutely beautiful. Oh, man. But like this, this whole story is super cool. Now, do you want to know a theory that I got from reading this last one? Go for it. Okay, so you remember back in like issue one or the rebirth of Green Lanterns and Jessica's uh, learning more about a ring and the ring says it's like this type of software and it's had this many users and that and it's like this is this version of it. Right. She has like the latest version of the ring. Yeah, like like the the cotton candy version of, of the Android ring that she's got going on. And then when we get Rebirth Hal, he's forging his own ring and he, he just he's like, man, that wasn't that hard. I don't see why the Guardians made a big fuss about that. Like, what if now that his his ring is like the, the Linux system, right? Is that that one where you can do all your own programming? In <laughs> it's it? the open source, yeah. It's it's the open source, right? So it has nothing that can shut it down. Microsoft can't come and shut his ring down, which I think is just foreshadowing, slightly foreshadowing to the future that maybe Sinestro, maybe that group of guys that Sinestro met with will be able to shut the rings down. And how will be the only ring? Now, if you go all the way back to Ron Mars's run when Kyle Rayner was the last lantern in the universe, and that was the only source for the battery to funnel out the power, and he became the strongest lantern of them all, and soon he became Ion, I think we're going to see maybe Hal Jordan become the next Ion, which would be cool. I, I would love for Sodom Yat to come back and be Ion because that dude was just great. Oh, yeah. I love that. But with Sinestro being possessed by Parallax and whatever this fear engine that he's talking about, I think it's going to be entity versus entity and it's going to be a great fist to fist blow and that's just going to be the coolest thing ever and i hope the the person that did the last page is going to do a two-page spread of them just entities fighting and sinestro and hal right in the middle just knocking each other apart oh yeah and but that's that's just speculation but go go ahead what what are you going to say about it no, I just, I, I see what you're saying because you, you know the part, um, and this isn't spoiling anything, folks, just go read it. It's really good. But when he's getting wrapped up by those tentacles and he's mm-hmm. trying to grab that kid. Yeah. And he like just, he loses control and like burns himself out of, of the tentacles. That right there was like, hmm. And now that you mentioned, you know, that there's no shutting down the ring and there may be no controlling it either. So, you know, he, he may overcharge himself into an ent- entity. I, I like that idea. It's it's really good. I love the entities. That's my favorite part of the whole thing. I like when when someone gets possessed or becomes chosen by the entity to be that that the the bearer of that power, which is always cool. That's one of my favorite things from Jeff Johns' run. But two things, and then we'll move on because this book has me so excited, and I hope you guys are excited. And if you if you are now, go pick them up. There's there's four issues out: one, two, three, including and the rebirth, and they all. They're all crucial to the story. Just go read it. But one, kind of tying into Green Lanterns, I just did my orders for previews and I started reading for, I think it's like seven or eight that we ordered. And it explained a little bit more about that Guardian that's coming from the other side of space with something in a box that we've been wondering about, but hasn't been mentioned again in Green Lanterns. Right. 
it's some kind of phantom ring. Oh. And, and now I'm excited to see what that is because, man, that's just more mystery to open up. But I'll leave that for later on because I don't want to speculate too much on it and take up everybody's time on the show. But pulling it back into Greenland, Hal, Hal number three, those dudes that come and meet Sinestro, they, they kind of have that mutual agreement like you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You know, you don't bother me. I won't bother you. You can practice your religion in light. And I love what Sinestro said about religion, that it has its uses. I just I just feel like Vendetti is just portraying Sinestro as like the confident character that he is. He's portraying him as the Sinestro that you and I know. Yeah. Back to those guys that came in. I wasn't at home when I read it. Otherwise, I would crack open, like, I think, volume two of my omnibus of Green Lantern by Jeff Johns. But are those those guys from the Vega system that are kind of like the guardians over there for the orange light. Do you remember that from uh, Agent Orange story? I don't remember that story very well, but I do know what you're talking about, but I don't remember what they look like. So I'm not 100% sure if it is. Um, It'd be cool if they tied it into that. Absolutely. Yeah, but they're just doing a good job of, man, you, you know what? Maybe it isn't Vendetti. Maybe it was just the higher ups at DC trying to contain the new 52 and and were really stringent on, uh, you know, forget the past. This is this is new. This is new. You don't have to worry about the past. When in fact, when you when you lean on the past, you get some of the better stories. Well, James made up a good point. I th- it was a while ago when we were talking and he said sometimes writers just need a guideline. And I think that's what's going on. I don't think anyone's co-writing with Vendetti or giving him a script or anything. I think he's been given an outline, a very rough outline of where they want things to go. And now that he knows what direction he needs to go in, this is what he's giving us. And some writers with just a little direction can give us some really amazing things. And it seems like if you read, because you didn't, but I did read half of that and did he run in the New 52, there was zero direction. You didn't know where, where the hell the story was going. So I, I think that's what is new to all of this. I think he's been given a path and they said, go with it. And this is what he's giving us. And I, sh- I sure hope he just keeps going this route. Yeah, dude, I cannot say enough about this book, about how good it is. And that's the funny thing too. So today I had Monica at the store going through just our overstock of DC Rebirth stuff because the first five issues are returnable. So we were kind of prepping it for what's going back. And she was like, man, we got a lot of Hal Jordan. And I was like, don't worry, like that's going to be the book I'm preaching for the next two, three weeks until we have to send them back. But man, so good. Yeah, everyone needs to read that. And I know we have some Green Lantern fans out there. So, you know, let us know what you think. Like we said before, we thought Green Lanterns was going to be the one to to hook us in. But no, I mean, like I said, it's my top, top book right now. And, you know, it, it's fighting Superman for Kevin for number one. And who knows if it keeps going this way, we may have a winner. So let's move on to our next writer. Let's jump into the Marvel camp. All right, yeah, let's talk uh, Nick Spencer. And I have a lot to say about this, homie, because I read Captain America number 12, and you and I talked about it just just a tiny bit. And you're in agreement with me. I think that my character, my favorite character, and that, well, not my favorite, but one of my favorite characters, US Agent, is actually being written pretty well by Spencer right now. I was a little disappointed with 12 because he kind of at first when John Walker's brought in and those private company guys are kind of like, you know, you need to get rid of Sam Wilson and 
And he's, he's like, I, I don't want anything to do with this. Like, I would rather be back in Afghanistan helping out the troops and stuff. And that's the John Walker I know. Like, he's like just a super patriotic guy. And, and I'm not a political person whatsoever, but I think he means well. And I don't know why I like him, but he just is a character I enjoy. But how easily uh, Spencer swayed him. And I could see that happening if like you're just a blind patriot. And with John Walker saying like, well, you know, I... I don't really have a beef with Sam Wilson, you know, and, and then they just keep egging him and egging him. And then they show him a newsreel of what's happening. And you know how the news spins things. Well, he kind of believes that spin, but they just kind of made him a little too dumb and two dimensional. So I'm hoping maybe he brings that three dimensional aspect back to a U.S. agent and just doesn't throw him off to the wayside. But he's still doing a good job with this run. And not to mention, you know, we gave him praise with standoff but you know like it or not the the guy like loves to push politics in every book he writes so that's kind of what doesn't make me a fan of things so and i actually haven't been following steve rogers i think i'm just going to trade weight it but i've heard good things well the whole thing the setup for john walker i think is just the setup for what we'll see as a redemption story because you've mentioned before in previous episodes that in, in in John Walker's initial run as Captain America, he's very by the books, very pro-America, very, you know, big on keeping the legacy alive. And you've you've said things where at points he feels like he can't he can't live up to what Steve Rogers said as a foundation, which if Spencer is smart, which he has been on this book, maybe that's the feeling that he's trying to convey with John Walker. Seeing that newsreel with with Sam Wilson cap, because you got to remember, like Sam Wilson's a social justice warrior. His parents were it's just his upbringing. So it's kind of a not a smack in the face of the legacy of Captain America, but it's a 180 on Steve Rogers' version of Captain America. Right. Like 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 Steve Rogers is an everyman while Sam Wilson is a select man. Yeah, I guess you could look at it that way. I I just don't like that it's like, th- that's the only thing I, I don't really care for as far as the story goes, is he's really, really pushing this dividing line. And it almost makes me feel like it would push readers into a dividing line. Like, oh, you like US agent? That dude's like a, a nutcase conservative. And it's like, well, no, he's not. You know, not, not the dude I've ever read. He's just such a... Uh, loyal soldier, essentially. You know, if the government says do it, then it must be right because the government, you know, the government's not wrong. And that's under any president, you know, whether he's a left winger or a right winger. But I think you may be right. You know, maybe this is a redemption thing. Like he gets caught up in the moment of, you know, seeing this newsreel and the news is basically, you know, uh, sensationalizing it. And he decides, you know, this guy isn't Captain America. He, He shouldn't be, even though literally seconds before that he's like i don't have a beef with sam wilson i may not agree with him all the time but you know i I got no hard feelings against him so it was weird that right away he kind of fell for it so maybe you're right maybe he's gonna you know see the light and uh by the way he's on marvel's side too but i could see that i I could totally see that take the fight to them that's what he says yeah i mean that's just his character that's that's the one thing i've enjoyed in in the few runs that i've ever read him in and he's a really solid character. Do you really think that, though? I like him, dude. From his run in Mighty Avengers, though, I've never read that Captain America run that you really like. I just got to repay up on the uh, Unlimited app and then I can get to it. But I like him. I like his costume. I like his character. 
it's just I, they just need to do them right. I, I mean, even if they added a little PTSD to them, I think that would do really well. But then again, that would be treading kind of on Nuke's territory where, you know, he's got to take the red pill, the white pill and the blue pill. Right. And that I mean, that would be. Eh. But then again, John Walker could be dead and this could be Nuke under there because Nuke is just like John Walker. He's very pro-America. That's true. So we could have that spin on there that we, you know, he, t- he takes the shield to the face and all of a sudden we see this uh, metal metal skeleton that's under there. I mean, the, the toy's out there and, you know, if that happens, people are going to go crazy with making customs. But it's up in the air right now. Spencer's doing a good job with this book and he, he did a great job with Standoff, which I really enjoyed and I bought the hardcover to it. But then there's been other things where it's just like he's too preachy on some of his stuff. He's, he's very poli-sci in all his books and i mean maybe he wants to get across that there's this thinking man's book that he's writing but really i'm just like i I use comics to escape from all this like hey you could put a lesson in here and he's doing a good job of it because we have these two ideologies clashing of of pretty much the same character and this book really could have not been tied into civil war and been its own event and i would have read it because i'm gonna buy the trade uh this this book is just too cool not to own and i'm not a big captain america fan but when they do stories like this it's just one of those things i'm gonna you know push on people when they're like what's a good captain america story and i'll be like yeah well i don't have any good ones but i got this great one it's almost not even a captain america story it's it's a sam wilson story i don't know what to say about it but i agree with you it's two ideologies going at it but here's the hard part with the book though can it stick the landing i mean it started off really strong but will it end just as strong as stand standoff did or will it kind of falter and fall apart with him trying to create a storyline out of this i mean i know in october we're getting that relaunch of all the marvel books so maybe this could lead into a u.s agent book or (sighs) another team book with him on it i I just think if they're going to keep doing these relaunches and i understand they're doing the champions i'm actually excited for that book that book's going to be really cool because i'm a huge fan of the young avengers and this will be the closest thing i get to it But if they just put like just a team together of odds and ends characters that, you know, we kind of look at and be like, that doesn't make sense. Kind of like they did with Uncanny Avengers. Or Omega Flight. Oh, Omega Flight would be cool too. That wouldn't work now. Well, no, I'm just saying like, you know, with the hodgepodge of like throw together some obscure people. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what I mean. But I feel more. You've read Uncanny Avengers? Yeah. Yeah. I just feel like that team, that, that makeup was so weird with Rogue, Scarlet Witch, Captain America, Thor, Sunfire, Wonder Man, and and, and just the rotating cast that they kind of had, Havoc, and then later on, Wasp. It just, it didn't make sense at first, but but that first volume didn't make any sense and was a terrible spinoff of AVX. But volumes two through the end are just amazing. If they would do an omnibus of that, of just volumes two through the end, Oh man, definitely. I'd pre-order that right now. But I just think we need something that's unfamiliar and not so movie-based. And I think John Walker, US agent, would be a strong addition to that. Maybe even Captain Britain. I mean, make a team called the Captains and just bring in anybody that's got (laughs) Captain in their name. And there's a few of them. But no, I I agree with you. I hope that I'm so behind this character that I even tweeted Nick Spencer. I was like, dude, don't make my character go by the wayside. So many people do that. But like you said, when he when you get a writer behind him that kind of gets it, and I feel like Spencer can get it. I, I just don't know if he's going to be like, I could see him looking at John Walker and be like, I hate this character. Like, I, I'm bringing him in just so I can get rid of him finally. 
And I hope he doesn't do that. I hope he takes it in a different direction. And uh, I always tell everyone, you know, what a great addition would he be to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Because you can't get Chris Evans in there to be Captain America. So give him U.S. agent. He could work for uh, General Talbot for the ATCU. Oh, man, that would be super cool, especially since the next season is going to have Ghost Rider. And they're obviously going to put some team together because Sky has the Secret Warriors. So... Man, that would be cool to see. Right? Yeah. Get the guy who was, uh, I forget his name, the guy who played Jim on The Office. Because he was going to play Captain America. Bring him on as U.S. agent. Bring him on as John, or bring John Krasinski into it. Jim, no. Yeah. Who else do you got? Uh, Robert De Niro? No. <laughs> no, I, I'm trying to think of uh, uh, of who I'd like to, to see. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Krasinski just seems. Eh. I guess if he if he beefed up a bit, you know, he's got, he's got that. I don't know. He's still got a baby face to him, though. That Marvel diet works, man. The Marvel diet—that's <laughs> true. It really does. No, you would need like a blonde-haired, you know, big buff dude because he doesn't have super serum uh, serum or anything. He's just a dude. He he's you know he's actually very much like Sam Wilson. He's just a guy. Well, I mean, a box of of dye, some some bleach, boom, John Walker. <laughs> I don't know. So, well, we'll we'll leave it at that, though. So let's hope that Spencer can not kill my character and he can, you know, make a good landing on this story, on this arc. And we'll see where it goes. And I'm with Kev. You know, if, if we see a U.S. agent book, even if it makes it six issues, I don't care. I'm going to buy it. And again, it, that's the only reason I'm reading, you know, Sam Wilson cap right now anyway. So, and everyone should go on to uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Twitter and just, you know, hashtag bring us a U.S. agent because, man, he would, I think he would be an awesome addition in the ATCU. And I think he would be amazing under uh, General Talbot because I kind of like General Talbot. Yeah, he is actually a really interesting character. And for someone that was a pursuer of the Hulk, it's cool to see him in some other role because the the last time I think I ever cared about that character is when we all thought he could have possibly have been the Red Hulk. Oh, yeah. That was Jeff Loeb, correct? Yeah. Dang. Yeah, that was a while ago. So, yeah, I mean, but just looking at or just like seeing Talbot in action, I'm like, oh, man, John Walker under that guy would be amazing. Yeah, dude. I mean, that's pretty much John Walker in a, in a shell. He, he's not m- made for movies, but I think he could hold up either on the show or man, even even him kind of showing up in one of the, the Netflix things would be really cool. Yeah. So anyway, that's our duds to studs for you. So what do you guys think? Do you think, are you reading Green Lan- uh, Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps? Is Venditti doing a better job? What do, you, what do you think about Nick Spencer? You know, are you fans? Are you not? Do you like the poli-sci kind of thing? We're, we're not big fans, but I think he's doing a pretty good job. So let us know what you think. But that being said, let's get into comics because I want to talk about Blue Beetle. Blue Beetle. Yeah. Yum. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there's been a lot of people that have come into the store like really happy with it. My first read through of it, I was meh. Yeah, me too. Because one, I really like Blue Beetle and I've read all of his first run. I read all of Infinite Crisis. I read his new 52 run. And in this rebirth, they're pretty much cutting and pasting a lot of that lore from those two volumes of Blue Beetle. So I've read it all before with, you know, the sprinkling of Dr. Fate and Ted Cord in there, which, you know, gives it something new. But it's just it was it was meh at first. 
but I reread it and I'm like, okay, this this has a lot of possibility because I picked up on a couple other cool things that are happening behind the scenes. Absolutely. My first read in, I thought the beginning was a little rough just jumping into things because if you don't know who Brenda and Paco are, you're kind of like, I mean, I know who they were, but it, it seemed really forced in the beginning. But once it got moving and Jaime actually made it into go against the bad guys who are rack and ruin, the dynamic between him and Ted, dude, that was super awesome. Like just, you know, Ted kind of like trying to guide him through and Jaime still not really having control over the suit and still has a lot of questions. But, you know, Cord's just like, get into battle, dude, just go. And he's like talking smack and he's telling him what to do. But when Jaime asks him a question, he's like, eh, I'm not sure yet. Hold on. Give me a second. The dynamic between the two is really, really cool. That got me super excited to see the two working together. And, you know, he even mentioned the heart attack thing, dude. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, dude, it's a fun thing. And and the the cool thing about that, and, and it's a pro and con that I've mentioned with them kind of digging into the, the past Blue Beetle books. But what's the line that Ted Cord gives where he's like something about a heart attack? And I know I, I should know about those. I was like, holy cow, they're, they're tying into the 80 cent giant where he's getting uh, kind of like a physical done. And, and I forget who the doctor is. It's not Dr. Midnight. It's a... a I forget who, but they mentioned like, you've had about three or four heart attacks. Yeah, dude. <laughs> and so like the fact that they, they tie that in there, I was like, man, they are really like digging into the lore. And I, I just want to see where this goes. I, I'm a little unimpressed with who the leader of the big bad is because it's been done in the last two volumes. Oh, and Amparo. Yeah. And I'm like, we, we've done this twice. This, this will be the third time it's done. Like we don't need the same story. It's like, let's move on to something. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I like it. I'm going to stick with it. It's one of the books that I'm, I'm really enjoying. Uh, and like a bunch of our, our customers, like today, Chris Garza came into the store and he was he was really happy about it. And, you know, it, the hype that I put into the book at the store lived up to in his eyes. So I'm, I'm really happy about that. I want to see where the book goes. That's that's the biggest thing right now because I have to keep reminding myself this is just the rebirth issue. This is this is bringing in the new readers and all that stuff. And you and I are both veterans in in the Blue Beetles portion of the universe, so we're kind of ho humming over this because it's like we know this, we know this, we get it. Okay, but not, yeah, not everyone does. And like I said, I still liked it because it, the the new thing, the new aspect of it was Ted Cord working with Jaime. Which, I don't know, I, I, I really, really, really liked that dynamic. So let's let's see where it goes. It, it, it totally is a, a what's next kind of thing. And, you know, Dr. Fate shows up forever. And it's the same, or not forever, for a, for a tiny bit. And it's basically the same two pages that you read in Rebirth. And again, I, I don't think the art was that bad either. It's a little rough. A little bit. But I, I don't think that's the ongoing artist. Oh, okay. I think that might just have been a, hey, here's your shot. Have some fun with it. Go go at it. But yeah, I, I just want to see out of this run, I, I want to see him get a bigger rogues gallery other than Rack and Ruin, uh, Black Beetle. Well, maybe we'll start seeing some Ted Cord stuff come in. That I don't I don't know a lot of other than like the, the stuff I read around Infinite Crisis with him. So that'll be a learning experience for myself. Yeah, they might dig in real deep and try and borrow from a lot of things. But if they're going the mystic route too, we might see some Dr. Fate stuff come in. So I, I think that they have a lot of stuff to work with and that makes me real happy. Yeah, come on, Felix Faust. <laughs> yeah, come on, man, Br bring it on. I'm excited. So I think everyone should read it. 
and let us know what you think. It came out last week, but hey, you know, I'm sure you can still pick it up. I don't think this one flew off the shelves, but like have said, those that read it, that I've talked to, that he's talked to, have actually enjoyed the book. And man, I am so hoping we get some Blue Beetle, some new Blue Beetle fans out there. So come out of the woodwork, guys. Let's go. So that being said, let's move on to the next book, dude. I just want to talk about War Mother real quick. And I know you did not read it, but I didn't read the next book we're going to talk about. So I guess we'll each talk about a book we didn't read. So it's a valiant book. If you like Mad Max Fury Road, you're going to love this book because it's not post-apocalyptic because if if you're reading anything like the 4001 AD stuff, you'll know that like New Japan is floating above what is Earth now. And Earth was just kind of left to to do what it did. And it grew. Like, there's civilization and stuff going on down there. It's just kind of cordoned off into different areas. And uh, I guess they call them groves. So we just kind of start off with War Mother being in her grove. And she gets to leave because some garbage fell. Not garbage, but a section of New Japan, if you're reading that. New Japan's kind of slowly getting rid of parts of itself that it thinks is infected. And to go scavenge. And she is the only one that is allowed to leave the grove. That's it. Everyone has to stay because they want to stay genetically pure. And she takes a gun with her, uh, a sniper rifle that's part biomaterial. So it's kind of alive. And she she calls the software Flacco. And it's able to talk and whatnot to her. I really like it because it's definitely different. I think it's drawn really well. And kind of looking at War Mothers or Anna, as they call her, perspective from things. And the fact there's a few things that she alludes to. She keeps saying, you know, uh, anything I touch seems to die. And I'm like, well, okay, well, what, what's your past then? Like, And her antagonist, who is very quickly dispatched, by the way, even mentions, you know, we made this for you because you couldn't make it yourself. Uh, he was referring to her family, I'm assuming is what it is. They don't really allude to that either in the story. They leave a lot of open ends, of course, because they want you to keep reading the book. I am going to keep reading the book. I think Kev should give this a shot. Because I know you liked Mad Max Fury Road. So give it a shot, man. I, I, I think you should. I think a lot of people should give this. And I know everyone's like, oh, Joe loves everything Valiant. And yeah, that came on real quick. But I do like a lot of Valiant stuff. But the, uh, of all the stories other than 4001 AD, I like this one really, really well. So if, if you like that kind of stuff, give it a shot. Oh, no, I'm definitely going to give it a shot. It's just on my back pile to read. I kind of got caught up in the past week or so just uh, i caught the transformer bug again so i've been catching up on that titans return stuff which actually is really good and like after finishing like six books in the last couple days um i'm ready to go out to like toys r us and buy all these toys but yeah no valiant does a really good job with this sci-fi stuff that they, they they have and and it's cool because a lot of the characters have no past so it's just an open canvas for them to write and i mean when uh when you and I went to Space City Con and got to talk to John and all that stuff, and then when we, we you know they they tell you like the books that some of these characters have appeared in that haven't got their own books yet, but then you go back and look like Faith got her own book and Shadow Man got his own book, and now War Mother's getting it. It's just one of those things where like it's fun to read these just because a they're really good stories, but you're looking for that next book that they're gonna have, dude. And you eat that stuff up. You're you like self proclaim that. Yeah, dude. No, I, I love lore and backstory and, and and hitting things. Like when when somebody reveals something to me, even about a book that I've read a couple times, I definitely go back and reread it. That's the that's the one reason I absolutely love, and I mean love, 
final crisis. Laro, the manager at our 1960 store, he's the one that, that turned me on to this. He said, buy a copy of Final Crisis and read it once a year for forever, and you'll pick up something new every time you go through. And I mean, you, you pick up things about like Commandy and, and Metron and the uh, the Atomic Knights and things that at the time, like, like, you know how I've told you when I first got into comics, I, I thought the JSA was stupid and, and pointless. And now I absolutely love those characters. That's how Final Crisis is. You keep picking up on characters that, all right, they're in the book. I don't really care. But then, like, I find something out about, like, Black Lightning, and I go back and I read that book. And the the events that happen in that book be, that include Black Lightning are that much more amazing. So with the Valiant stuff, whenever I find out, like, oh, what was it? Uh, War Mother appeared in uh, Book of Death. Yeah, she was in one page. <laughs> yeah, one page. And I, I've, I've already read Book of Death, but when Joe told me that, man, I went home and cracked it open and was like, okay, let me reread it. Where's War Mother? Where's War Mother? Without actually knowing what she looked like. So like, there's two characters in Book of Death, one that is War Mother, but then there's another one in there that's unannounced. Yeah. So yeah, Valiant, Valiant's got its hidden gems that are actually really, really cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. So again, you know, I read this one I was, and I wasn't expecting much, but I, I ended that book thinking, all right, she's one of my favorite Valiant characters now. They put a lot of depth in this. Uh, she's going to be she's going to be a good character, I think. So let's move on to the book I did not read, but one of my favorite dudes ever, and he's a local guy, uh, Terry Moore, had some something to do with it. So the reins are all yours, Kev. All right. So as you guys know, I'm a big fan of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Power Rangers in general, be it American or Japanese Super Sentai. That's my jam, jelly, and preserve. Well, this week we got the first annual of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers series, which I was already excited for. But three months ago when we were doing previews and we looked through it, uh, Terry Moore did the art and one of the stories. Not only that, but his son, Trey Moore, actually wrote the story. Now, the fun thing about that is Trey has always shopped with Bedrock City, which was cool. But Trey would also bring in his Power Ranger stuff to sell to the store, things that he kind of uh, like had no use for. And that's kind of like how I got my first taste of the Japanese uh, Ranger keys and how I got a bunch of the toys for my collection is through him. And he'd stick around and we'd talk Power Rangers. And if you're going to have somebody who's going to write a story, a backstory that's going to become canon, this is the guy you want to do it because he likes Power Rangers just as much as I do. So for them to give him this chance and set up this story, I'm super happy for him. Um, the one hard thing about it is uh, Leanne and I were looking through the Power Ranger book because we knew Terry Moore did it, or as we call him at the store, the Terry Moore. Without there being any real female faces, it took us a couple tries to figure out who it was before we had to look at the table of contents and figure out the story. But then when we finally saw it, it was like spot on Terry Moore art. But it was a cool story. Now, in this book, there's five or six stories. I'm, I'm, I think it's five. And they're just kind of short stories that, uh, you know, fill in the time in between missions, et cetera, et cetera. But Trey's story takes place before the inception of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, before Zordon even gets to Earth and kind of establishes Goldar's clan, as well as Goldar's unknown brother, Silverback, which was really cool. And kind of expands on the character's mythology that I thought was really cool. And he did a great job because he didn't just tie in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers lore. He went as far as Zeo by mentioning the Zeo crystal. And and he, he got it right with how Lord Zed actually became a grotesque monster that he is, is because of that. And so 
he was just hitting it on all cylinders and it was it was it was the best story in that book opposed to the first story in the book which was a I, I'm I don't have it with me so I can't remember who drew it or wrote it but it was just a cool kind of a time management story and it was just a bunch of panels of Jason the Red Ranger and how he goes about a week as being a student, as being a son, as being a sensei, as being a power ranger, and how taxing that is on him. And it's it's crazy good. The other stories were fun. They did a one, I think, that was actually done by a little kid. And it's just like some silly, funny stories. But the two stories in there, the one by Terry Moore and Trey Moore, was done great. I hope they give him another chance to do it because I'd love to see some more of this pre-lore. I'd love to see, you know, some of the stuff in between. And uh, they're doing a great job. And the one thing that got announced today or this this week the, after Wednesday when the book came out is that uh, Kyle Higgins has stated like he's not just going to follow the TV lore. He's going to start building some of his own, but he's going to use it as a foundation. So as I've said many times about this Power Ranger comic, if you love the show, if you love the series or anything like that, or you're just curious about it, pick it up. It's a great read. But it's also letting uh, it's also getting to do things that they couldn't do on the TV one because stock footage and two because of a budget because everything's limitless on this. And not only the Mighty Morphin book, but also the Pink Ranger miniseries is rocking. I I couldn't be happier. And this is Boom's best selling book. Who would have thought of that? I liked it. I've, I've read the first couple, but I just I didn't stick with it because I have a ton of other stuff that I've been reading. So and, you know, I, I've mentioned this before, the Super Sentai stuff. I'm OK with it. It's just it, I'm not that huge of a fan. So, you know, when I get to it, I'll get to it. and Maybe I'll get a trade or something because the artwork's gorgeous in the in the ongoing. And the story is actually really interesting. So Trey's a fan. Of Super Sentai stuff? Oh, yeah, dude. As many times as I've talked to him when I used to work at the Westheimer store, he likes it. He loves it. It's 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 part of his childhood. It's carried on to his adulthood and stuff like that. And he's had to sell stuff off, I believe, for like space. He's moved, He doesn't live in Houston anymore. So I think he's moved to New York, I believe. But man, if, if Terry or Trey happens to listen to this episode, the next time you guys are together in town, stop by the Sugarland store. Uh, I'm going to keep my copy of the annual in my box. Hopefully you guys can stop by and, and sign it for me because that is awesome. I mean, the excitement of, of, of two locals getting to do something that I love. And on top of that, like Terry Moore just hits it out of the park with a bunch of his, his stories. I mean, Strangers in Paradise is a super emotional roller coaster. Rachel Rising is just a fantastic horror book. Echo's really good too. Echo, yeah, dude. Echo's and and then uh, Rachel Rising's Omnibus just came out. I was just gonna mention that. I want yeah. like you want him to sign your annual. I want him to sign my Omnibus because I'm definitely gonna get that. Oh yeah, no, it, it's it's great. Like they do. Um, I think I think it's his wife. That, that does like all this binding and and and, and puts them all together because I know she's always contacting the store asking us what we need and like that Rachel Rising it's just a, it's just a what would you say like a slime green yeah it just works for the horror book you can feel the ooziness of the book even though it's just a, a solid piece of of I don't know book material I like a lot of Terry Moore stuff I, I I think I like all of it but my favorite thing and actually I think it's my favorite because that was my introduction to Terry Moore was Rachel Rising and. I, I can't get enough of that book. It's so good. And I, I was sad that it ended, but Terry also understands when to end a story. So I give him mad props on that. Oh yeah, most definitely. I'm, I'm glad he doesn't draw some of these these things out. I mean, like as, as emotional as Strangers in Paradise is, I think 
just the way that it ends adds tenfold to to that emotion you feel like if if he would have dragged it out more i don't think it would have had the same effect on pretty much everybody that's read it i know leanne she's told it multiple times it was was bawling because of certain issues and that even when friends were over and she was creating it so uh reading it so terry does his art is beautiful especially since it's all in black and white and it's just it's expressed even more by his skillful writing and he does a great job with that and he's not just stuck to one genre that's pretty cool because he can write sci-fi he can write horror he can write slice of life and it, it's it's something you guys should pick up if you've never read terry moore if the name's never if the name's unfamiliar to you guys just stop in your local comic shop i highly recommend strangers in paradise and as joe says he highly recommends echo which i do as well yes both definitely recommend rachel rising for a just a fantastic read it's pretty and it's just an emotional story as well as uh just an action-packed story a mystery it's wonderful dude yeah can't say enough good things about terry moore and maybe maybe just someday we can get him on this on this show so he's a super nice guy folks like one of the most gracious guys ever so there we go i think we have a show man yeah, definitely. Hey, it went went good this week. That's a uh, four in a row. I don't I don't know any sports analogies for for four. Isn't that or, a turkey in bowling? Uh, is that four in a row? Or is that I three? don't know. I, we we've got a hat trick plus one. <laughs> <laughs> we love the sports ball. Yeah, we we uh, I don't know, but hey, four four is great. And this is my favorite episode thus far, uh, other than talking about Ultraman, because I could talk about that dude all day. But I was just super excited about every single one of these comics that came out. And I'm even super excited about uh, Power Rangers. I haven't even read it, but, you know, I kind of always feed off your excitement about things. So, and we got to talk about Terry Moore too, because that guy's awesome. So let us know if you have read any Terry Moore books. Is that something you'd be interested in? Let us know if you've read any of the titles we talked about, because, of course... We love hearing from you guys. And uh, what did you think about the duds to studs? We didn't get a whole lot of feedback from that, but I, I have a feeling after this episode, we're going to hear from some, from some folks. So Yeah, definitely. So I, I like the, the format that we have going with the question. And, you know, since that ended so well last week, why don't we do it again, man? What about uh, with, with October right over the horizon? And Marvel ready to relaunch a bunch of their titles again with this line-wide relaunch post-Civil War II. How does that make you guys feel? Do you, do you like these relaunches? Do you feel that comic books should be treated like TV seasons? And, you know, season one ends, we'll get season two with another 12 issues. And then that'll end and we'll get another 12 issues. Or are you like me where you like the longevity where you can have a long box and show, look, I've got issues one through 67, or I've got issues 300 through 578. Let us know about that stuff. What what are some, some good relaunches that you remember? What are some bad relaunches that you remember? Do you care at all? Or, or do you just go with the flow and you, and you know, you just, you just say, Hey, that's comics. But Joe, let tell them how they can get those answers to us. You can get us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash CBBB show. You can also uh, tweet us at CBBB show and you can also get us on Gmail at CBBB show at gmail.com. Yes, please get back with us. We love hearing from you. And yeah, we'll broach that subject on the next episode. So until then, we will talk to you next time. Comic Book Boom Boom.